Input. Output. Hi, this is Input Output, and I'm your host, Mark Yarm. Today on the Input Output Podcast, we've got stories about at-home video streaming and the future of the movie-going experience. The new Chromecast with Google TV builds on everything that people love about Chromecast, and it's the perfect complement to Google TV. And the biggest news here is the addition of a remote to help you navigate with either your finger or your voice. The new Chromecast with Google TV, a $50 video streaming device, improves on earlier models with the inclusion of a remote control. It also comes with a slick new TV interface for discovering content. InputMag.com senior reviews editor Ray Wong wrote a glowing review of the new Chromecast. Here he is reading an excerpt from his piece. What would make Chromecast better? Easy. A remote. So that's exactly what Google is including with the Chromecast with Google TV. But that's not all. The with Google TV part also means the new Chromecast comes with a slick new TV interface for discovering content. It's basically an improved version of the Android TV interface found in set-top boxes and smart TVs, and is Google's answer to what you get on Apple TV, Roku, or Fire TV device. Welcome back to the show, Ray. Thanks for having me again. Judging by the tone of the article you wrote about this, you seem pretty upbeat about this new Chromecast. It's a pretty neat little device. So yeah, I would say it was a very positive review. I don't own a Chromecast, so can you explain, first of all, what made them so great and what makes it even greater now? Sure. So Chromecast is a little dongle, an HDMI stick that usually plugs into the back of your TV or your computer monitor. And the great thing about it is that it's a very cheap, about 30 to $35. And the other thing is you basically just cast content from your phone, your tablet, or your laptop directly to it. So it's a really cheap and really easy way to get content to your bigger screen. And that's why it was kind of a runaway hit. Uh, it came out in 2013. There have been you know, numerous upgrades over the last couple of years, but this time there's a new version called the Chromecast with Google TV. And it comes with A, a remote, B, it's only 50 bucks, and C, the interface is more similar to what you find on an Apple TV or Roku or Fire TV. So it puts the content directly at the front. So it's more about discovering content versus you already knowing what content you want and beaming it over to your TV. So I have a Roku. Is this at all compatible with Chromecast? So they're similar products. They both basically do the exact same thing. They stream content. You can play Netflix. You can play YouTube videos. You can get Amazon Prime Video, HBO. Basically, all of the apps and video content that you're used to on, say, another streaming device is available here. But the one key advantage I'd say the Chromecast with Google TV has is the kind of universal search. And that's an issue that and a problem that other devices have been trying to solve. So right now, the best thing you can do if you want to get content or discover content is a search for it on your streaming device, or let's say you search for it online, you see it, and then you'd have to go and manually input it into your streaming device. But with Chromecast, with Google TV, you can actually click the little like uh, watch list button when you find content on Google search, and then it'll automatically show up in your watch list section within your new Chromecast with Google TV. So I found that very, very convenient. And as well as you can also use the Google Assistant 
in the voice remote to search for content as well. And it's all really, really quick. It does all your typical Google Assistant stuff. You can ask the weather, you can play music, all that kind of stuff. But I think it's such a simple feature, the watch list. It's so nice. Like the other day I stumbled across this show and I just clicked the little watch list button and within a second it was already on my Chromecast. So like I didn't have to go add it. I didn't have to save it in a note somewhere. It was just there. That's great because, yeah, during the pandemic, I'm like, I'm going to make a list of everything I'm going to watch during the pandemic. And, of course, I didn't keep up with that. But I guess if I had Chromecast, that would have made my life a little bit easier, huh? (laughs) It's just simple little feature that you wonder why it wasn't, like, possible before. And I think it's just, you know, A, wrangling the content providers and having the power of Google search, which is so good because it can find content within other streaming services so it's not like oh you need to know where the content is on which app or which service which is really annoying for me but basically just search for it and it will tell you where is the best place to watch it so if you've already logged into certain accounts it'll say oh these are the places you can watch it because you have a subscription or if you're not subscribed it'll offer you places that you can watch it and it'll show you the prices as well so it's just a really nice organized interface in my opinion and it's cheap it's 50 bucks so you know not much more than a regular chromecast and more affordable than the previous premium version of the chromecast which was the chromecast ultra and that was like 70 bucks and didn't come with a remote so i'd say this is a pretty good buy You can follow Ray on Twitter at Ray Wongi. Now on to today's second story. It's a plot twist even Hollywood didn't see coming. The parent company of Regal Movie Theaters making the decision to suspend operations at its more than 500 locations this coming Thursday. This announcement following that James Bond bombshell. No Time to Die, which was supposed to open in November, being delayed until April 2nd, 2021, because of the pandemic's effect on theatrical business. Due to the pandemic, movie theaters are shuttering. Blockbusters are getting shelved. Studios are scrambling to find their way. And all this could be a good thing. So argues InputMag.com editor-in-chief Joshua Topolsky in a recent piece for the site. Here he is reading an excerpt from his essay. Over the last two decades or so, the movie-going experience has been degraded by turns, both in terms of the physical reality of packing hundreds of people into a shared experience with a world of increasing distractions, and in the quality of the blockbuster fare being peddled by studios. This pandemic has made us all take a long, hard look at what's really been working for humanity and what hasn't, and I think the theater experience, at least the massive multi-screen one we've been living with, might be dying at just the right time. Welcome back to the show, Josh. Thank you for having me on the show. So why might the movie-going experience be dying at just the right time, as you say? You know, the one thing, and I point this out in my article, is that movie theaters were struggling, have been struggling for quite a while now with how to pack people into these massive seat theaters for these huge blockbusters. Obviously, the pandemic forcing us all to stay inside and not go into crowded spaces has sort of hastened what was a slow and painful demise because consumers have... A lot more options. The experience at home is much better. The experience at theaters has gotten kind of bad. And frankly, not everybody wants to see superhero movies. And so the time may be right because this was inevitable in some way, but also because the pandemic forces 
these theater owners and forces consumers to think about and talk about and confront a new and different reality. Right. In the article, you talk about some of the horrible movie-going experiences people have, you know, people, whatever they're doing in the theater, looking at their phones, yelling at the screen. But despite all those things, there's some communal joy in that. And I, I've really missed that the past nine or so months. So I think, and I, and I mentioned this, that I've had experiences where the uproarious behavior of an audience in a theater is really fun. That happens all the time. It also happens that you're trying to watch a movie and people are being really annoying or crinkling a bag or, you know, just, you know, generally being unpleasant. It's really hard. I think there are, and I, and I talk about this as well, there are places like Alamo Drafthouse that have gone to great lengths to rethink some of the movie going experience. So, well, I think there's a place for the kind of like uncharted, crazy movie going experience where everybody's kind of doing their own thing. I think that when you are paying the kind of prices that they're asking to go to a movie, if you're going you know, on a date, or if you're going with a group of friends, it's a pretty expensive night to have the entire point of the experience ruined by somebody who, you know, I'm not saying they're bad or good. It's just everybody has a different way of watching movies. You know, I agree that there still is a place for those experiences. I just think that we're finding ways to move away from having more of the unpleasant experiences, and we need to find ways to figure out what the pleasant experience looks like. Well, right now we're sitting at home. I paid like $20 the other day to watch Kajillionaire on VOD. Uh, I don't know if it was worth it, but uh, do you think that this is in any way a substitute for the theater experience? Well, I think the thing is that you're always gambling to some degree when you pay money to be entertained. I do think there's a version of reality where you can pay a premium to see a first-run movie. I've thought this for a long time. I've talked about it for a long time. I think a lot of other people agree that there is a large, I think not everybody, but a pretty big portion of the movie-going, ticket-buying public that would love to pay a premium price and get something the day that it's out. I know that there's questions about piracy and there's questions about group watching and all this stuff. And I really think, you know, you've got to grapple with those on a financial level, but Again, you know, you're talking about the pressures to create these billion dollar plus movie experiences is really built on this idea that you need to cram people into these expensive theaters. I mean, the entire industry of blockbuster franchises, it's not solely created because of the need for those theaters to be full, but it is absolutely a big component of their creation and of the extension of those franchises is that you've got an industry that just needs to keep getting fed with bigger and louder and more expensive products. And so, you know, the question is, is every movie going to feel like a new Avengers? And we've already started to loosen up a little bit with how we were releasing these movies. You know, Disney released Mulan, obviously not by choice, but they released Mulan as a video on demand release. And, you know, I think we're gonna see a lot more of that. It's not gonna be every movie, but I do think that can help recreate a little bit of that opening night experience. So what do you see as the future of movies? I mean, AMC is teetering on the brink of bankruptcy. What, what's it going to look like post-pandemic, do you think? I feel like we're going to see some real division between how many megaplexes there are that have, you know, 20 screens and are showing every possible movie you can think of, at least every possible wannabe blockbuster you can think of, and the Alamo draft houses and other more niche theaters of the world. And I think we're going to see more of those niche experiences pop up. I think in some way, going out to the movies should be more of an experience. I think it almost has become too 
broad and too flattened in terms of the way it feels and what kind of amenities are provided. And in fact, even before this, theaters had started to change the types of seats they had. So they had theaters with fewer seats, but they were more comfortable, large seats. You know, you could order food from an app and they'll bring it to you at, you know, seat side. You know, there's a lot of, there's theaters now that are allowing drinking or having a beer or whatever with the movie. So I think that you're going to see a lot more of those bespoke sort of unique experiences that probably cost a little bit more, but create a more a welcoming environment for a lot of people. I think stuff like drive-ins could see a big resurgence. I think the idea of other ways for groups to watch movies is really interesting. And in fact, I think the concept of drive-ins maybe, you know, with new technology and with the kinds of spaces that we inevitably are going to find ourselves having, you know, post-pandemic could be a really interesting new alternative. But I also think that the home viewing experience is going to increasingly become the place where people are seeing these movies and the studios and the theaters will have to adapt. I mean, this is definitely an adapt or die situation. Like if you can't come and meet the consumer where they need to be or want to be, it's a real problem for your industry. You can follow Joshua on Twitter at Joshua Topolsky and I am at Mark Yarm. For more news from the world of technology and culture, visit InputMag.com. You can click on the links in the show notes for the stories we discussed today. New episodes of Input Output are released three times a week. If you enjoyed what you heard, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. You can find Input Output on your smart speaker or whichever podcast app you use. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.